Welcome to Engage Your Tribe, a podcast about the art and science of audience engagement. I'm Jeremy Shear, and my guests today are Greg Hooven, President at Market Reach, and Rod Griffith, Chief Client Officer and Co-Founder at Market Reach. Greg, Rod, it's great to have you both on the show. Thanks for the invite. So Engage Your Tribe is brought to you by Tribal Knowledge Podcasting. We are a full-service B2B podcasting agency, and we help B2B brands use podcasting as a fun and efficient way to have authentic, non-salesy conversations with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. You can learn more at tribknowledge.com. Okay, so Greg, Rod, we'd love to hear a little bit about your guys' background in business and in marketing, and of course, about market reach. Rod, why don't we start with you? Yeah, sure. Well, I spent about 10 years in, in large computer companies and their marketing departments before recognizing the fact that there was a real need for marketing services that, that really understood the B2B technology realm. And I had difficulty finding vendors like that in, in, in my day. So I said I saw an opportunity and in the early 90s, decided to leave, uh, to take a jump and start Market Reach in 1994, I think it was. So that's, that's when we started the company. And we've been focusing on business to business, marketing technology companies, mostly information technology, healthcare technology, industrial technology, anybody with complex, long sales cycles, challenging differentiation, things like that. So. Okay, very good. And Greg, what about your background? Yeah, so I started off in crisis communications doing PR uh, for an agency down in Boston, and then got the bright idea that I wanted to try a variety of different things, figuring Starting my career, bouncing around, getting a wide breadth of services would be good for me. Unfortunately, um, the more I bounced, the more I got the, you don't have enough of the right experience comments as I was moving, but it allowed me to get experience in a variety of different areas. So I did some ad copywriting, presentation design, editorial. I've kind of seen it from all areas and then landed at Market Reach about 15 years ago. Been here ever since. Okay. And it's, I think it's cool that you guys started way back in 1994, which like in tech terms might as well be like five centuries ago, right? Things changed so quickly. And so, you know, you guys have seen quite a lot of, uh, of we were, evolution in your we time. You were actually one of the eight founding members of the Internet Direct Marketing Bureau, which was really designed to go and create the, the can spam laws that we have today. That was the early effort to try to put some controls on emailing because hmm. we recognize it's going to get crazy. Yeah, so we got to watch the whole internet marketing, web marketing, social media empire come kind of move its way into the marketing industries. It's, yeah, it's really cool. cool. So so you guys have a really broad perspective, a oh, yeah. broad and wide perspective on all this. So now I know that you both work with a lot of business owners in the tech world who don't have a marketing background typically. And they also don't, maybe don't really understand marketing and its value, like why you need a marketing function, why this is something you really need to focus on. So to start with, what are some of the common misconceptions about marketing that you tend to run into? Rod, let's start with you. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, number one, I think is, uh, you know, everyone's exposed to marketing every day, right? We see it all day long in television and web, et cetera. So there's, there, there tends to be this misconception that well, you know, the consumer marketing that I see every day is the kind of thing I can do and just apply it to my B2B technology business. And it doesn't work that way. You know, B2B marketing is very different. You know, you, the yeah. critical, the factors that are major, there's not a lot of impulse purchases, right? It takes weeks, months, sometimes even years to, to sell a product. That takes the the need to 
establish relationships and nurture those relationships over a long period of time until they turn into sales, for example. The second area we see a lot is that and it happens to technology companies. They have this assumption that, you know, a great product will kind of, you know, it doesn't need marketing because it'll, it'll, it'll just become, you know, viral. It'll go viral, for example. Well, going viral mm. is not a strategy, right? If it happens, good for you. Congratulations. But it's not a plan. You can't plan to go viral. So there's a lot of, of, of wrong understanding that, you know, marketing isn't needed because I've got such a great product. It's so unique. It's so competitive. It's just going to basically become really, really good. So. Mm -hmm. The third thing is probably uh, the lack of uh, understanding or believing that there's there's no emotions involved in, in, in technology or B2B marketing, right? You know, purchases are made by business criteria based upon functional capabilities and needs and assessments and benchmarking, et cetera. But the reality is, and there's been new studies lately that show that technology marketing has a significant amount of more emotions involved in the sale than people had realized. And those emotions play a major role in, in, in developing marketing programs that are effective. So we have to work with that a lot. So that's probably the three big ones we see all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting because you said just before that it, it's really different than B2C marketing, right? In all the ways you just described, except there is some crossover, as you just said, emotions, right? That doesn't go away. Right. You make an impulse buy, that's pretty much mostly your emotions, right? You just want it in the moment. Right. And you're not buying on impulse in B2B, but still you have to make that emotional, personal connection with the seller, with the buyer between those two in order to, to advance that relationship well, to the point this, where you're going to earn trust, right? Exactly. And it's kind of almost the opposite of impulse, meaning that when you make, yeah. a, when you make if you buy the wrong lamp for your office, you know, for your home office, or anything, big deal. If you don't like it, you give it away to your kids or something and no, no big deal. You buy the wrong computer system for your corporation and it doesn't go well your career's in trouble, right? So yeah. the decisions involved in business decisions can have significant impact on a person's career. If they make the wrong choice, it might mean, you know, hurt their career. Making the right choice can, you know, could boost their career. It could also mean less hours working at the at the office, for example. They finally get that, that pay raise they wanted or they get to take vacations because they're not working as hard because they made life easier with their decisions. So it's a, there's a lot more emotions involved in those decisions than people had realized. It's not all about just, what solutions match my, 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 my needs, my, my, you know, my functional needs, for example. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Greg, what's your take on this? So I think from a, a marketing standpoint, sorry, That's I okay. uh, got kicked out and didn't hear what you uh, had to say. Well, Rod, you could re like, I'll, I can cut this part out, but Rod, you can just kind of recap briefly. Consumer, assuming that you know people assume that consumer market a business business marketing is like like consumer marketing you just apply the same principles from B to C to B to B which doesn't work as you know in many cases I talked about the fact that technology companies sometimes believe that hey we'll just build a great product we don't need a lot of marketing because the product's going to be so cool and so better it's going to become viral and it's going to sell tons because of the superiority and the third one is the not understanding that how much emotion is involved in a B to B sale and some of the recent results that you and I have talked about over the past couple of years about how you know, that people, when they make a decision for B2B, it can really affect their careers. There's a lot of emotions involved. So they they got to get it right, because if they, they make a mistake in the wrong purchase decision, it can really hurt their careers and vice versa. A good a good decision can really change their whole careers. So there's a lot more emotion involved in B2B than people think. They tend to think it's just criteria, right? You know, does it meet my functional needs? How, how fast does it work? How, how well does it perform in the benchmark test? You know, that kind of thing, but there's a lot more emotion involved. 
than people had thought. So that's the three things I went over. So. Yeah, and I think one of the other misconceptions along those lines is the complexity. I think a lot of people take a look at marketing and they think, you know, I just want to do something simple. And we hear that comment quite frequently. And simple doesn't necessarily, at least for the end user, simple doesn't mean that the back end of it is not complex, well thought out, well planned. You know, people want things up quick. They want to see that quick win, but they don't realize that there are a lot of stages and a lot of things that go into planning that and making, you know, marketing campaigns, sales enablement, all of those types of things. Successful. Yeah, creating, okay. creating a simplified experience for your customers is not a simple process in itself, right? But the end product <laughs> right. is simple, nice, simple, clean, effective marketing. Look at Apple, for example, right? Beautiful job with that. But the effort to get there, to make it simple, is actually quite complex. Right. Yeah. And that's easy to miss if, you're, if you've never gone through that process, yeah. definitely. So your guys' whole company is built on getting tech founders and, and people in the industry to see that value in marketing and actually go down that path. So how do you do that? Sort of what's your... What what are your strategies for for getting people who aren't aren't used to that way of thinking to get in that mindset? And Greg, let's start with you. So I think it's conversations, walking them. Through. You know, from our standpoint, it's starting with those folks and showing them some quick wins, right? So we're starting off with a process of making them understand that it's not going to be an overnight thing. You know, you do situations where that happens, but it's rare and far between a good marketing, you know, nurture campaign is evolving and it takes time. It's reviewing, it's consistently building on it to make sure that you're hitting your audience in the right areas, you're talking to the right people, and that's an ongoing process. And I think as we show people, you know, the different elements that are involved in that and how to build on that, those successes start to grow and then they start to buy in more. And that's, I think, one of the reasons we've had the longevity that we've had with a lot of our customers is we're not trying to pitch them on that quick campaign. We're talking about, you know, long-term nurturing, brand building, all of those types of things, and it all comes into play. Once you start having those conversations with people and, and they realize and you build that trust, I think that helps them buy into the overall value that they're going to get mm -hmm. with it. Yeah, Rod, what do you have to add there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, the, and the other thing is, is uh, that we try to talk to them about and sort of get them to understand is that, you know, you can do these things manually. In other words, oftentimes we'll have salespeople say, well, we have a sales staff that's very good. Our product's very good. And it's a relationship selling, right? Most, most technology selling is, is very relationship focused. So they don't understand that, yeah, you can do that. But look at the cost. Look what it takes for one person to take somebody from the time they meet them when they become a, a real prospect could be nine months from now right so the challenge is that's a, the manual process of doing that can be very expensive and time consuming what marketing can do is sort of automate some of that right? take it away from the salespeople so that they're not focusing their energy on pre-qualified leads that aren't really qualified yet so they're focusing their energy because it's very expensive to send a salesperson out there right so you want to focus then on qualified opportunities and marketing simply just takes a time frame for when a salesperson needs to be involved and extends it farther down the relationship path. It nurtures relationships, communicates, educates customers, gets them far enough along to where now we know, okay, it's worth sending a salesperson to go talk to this person. And it saves a lot of money, actually. It can actually be a big cost savings. And they don't always really mm -hmm. do that to get them through that process. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you're bringing up something really important, namely the uh, collaboration of sales and marketing, right? I mean, they're really one function together. You, 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 I mean, you can have you can have sales without marketing, although it's not a great idea. Right. But you, it doesn't work the other way around, right? If you have marketing without sales, then what are you know right. what, what are you doing? Like, what's the point? How how involved? I'm curious. How involved are you guys? when you're working with, you know, a younger company in helping to align sales and marketing? Oh, a lot. I mean, it, it's, you know, we, we create, you know, scripting processes and things like that. We actually, you know, set up models and kind of create a plan for when you're going to interact with a customer. For one client, for example, they're going to trade shows and they weren't really proving the leads weren't coming back very effectively. And, and you know, what, what we did was come in and say, okay, let's create a plan that says, okay, when you meet somebody in a trade show booth, You've only got a certain amount of time to qualify them quickly because it's a numbers game. You want to talk to as many people as you can, but quickly talk to them and don't spend too much time with one person because unless they're obviously, you know, a real major opportunity, hot opportunity. But in most cases, you got to teach your sales force that qualifying is a numbers game and you have to get the conversations going. So we created a model that said, okay, when you engage, ask these three questions. If they answer this way, then ask these three questions. And we actually created a scripted process that they rehearsed and within, you know, a, the the next couple of shows, they came back and said it was making a big difference. The quality of the people they're following mm. up with after the events and things like that. So it really, it's it's we do a lot of work with a, with a small company that has uh, marketing and sales kind of as one organization or very closely tied. It's really helpful to make sure they're involved in the planning process because uh, if marketing has the salespeople have to believe in the marketing, right? and the more you involve them, engage them, so they feel part of the marketing process, the more comfortable they're going to be that they've got a good marketing program they can get behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. So, so Greg, let me throw a question to you. Once, once a, a young company is up and running with marketing, they've kind of bought in, what are some of the common mistakes you see B2B tech companies making with their marketing? A couple of things, I think. One, again, planning for their, or trying to target the short term and not planning for the long term as far as their, campaigns are or they get set in that one plan and aren't willing to adjust as they go forward it's something where when we're working with organizations we're consistently looking at you know how's the messaging being received what are the things that we can tweak to make sure that you know we're getting the results that we expect and i think a lot of people don't aren't comfortable with that adjustment going through if they see those negative returns or they're not seeing what you know, we had originally discussed right away, they start to panic and either they pull back or they just completely, you know, move to another message, another campaign where a lot of those things, as you know, take time to build traction. I think that's one area. And then the other area I we see quite frequently is people trying to put all their eggs mm -hmm. in one basket, you know, especially nowadays with audiences using so many different channels, so many different mediums. There's a lot of areas that you need to be willing to reach out to those folks and trying different things that might be outside of your comfort zone is really important. And seeing how those things operate, not only with your messaging, but how your audience is reacting to them is really important. Indeed. All right, Rod, just to kind of switch gears here quickly for a minute, you know, I'm a podcast guy and my business is a podcast agency, so I think a lot about podcasting as a marketing tool and it's kind of a new tool on the scene. So I'd, I'd just love to get your thoughts on that. You know, what do you think about 
about podcasting as a as a marketing tool. Oh yeah, we 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 we've uh, used it numerous times with our clients and our, and our own as well too. The reason why we're here, right? So we 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 mm-hmm. we, we think that you know especially in technology marketing or even in services marketing, like we are professional services marketing. It's relationship selling. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of commitment on the part of the customer to get educated, right? You can't, they can't learn your differentiation overnight. And we don't have a type of solution or service. Most of our clients don't either where they can just say one thing, like we're the fastest ever, for example, and, and people understand the differentiation to, to understand our differentiation especially as a professional services company, you have to use our services first to really truly understand it. So that's the catch 22 of most professional services companies that how do I get customers to sort of get a sense of what it's like to work with us without having to make the commitment to actually work with us first, right? Because they're not willing to make that commitment until they really feel comfortable. So podcasts and conversational, these type of conversational marketing, we'll call it, is a way for people to kind of get to understand not just the philosophy of how we work, but our personalities that are involved, the kind of backgrounds we have, the kind of, you know, how we look at things. And we find that, you know, customers that listen to us first and kind of hear us, because I do a lot of presentations and people will come back to me and say, you just sound like the right kind of company we want to work with. You know, that's exactly mm. what podcasting can do for you. It, 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 it creates a, a, the not only the, the description of the services and what you do and your approaches, but the personality behind the company. Are these going to be good people to work with? You know, because as Greg knows, we've had clients been with us for 15, 20 years or more, you know, and it's not always because we're perfect at everything we do. We're very good, but mm-hmm. you know, it's not always, we're, we're not always perfect, but it has to do a lot to do with the fact that they just like working with us. You know, we're a good group of people to work with. And I want to hire vendors the same way. I want to hire vendors that I'm going to enjoy working with. I'm, I'm sure we've all done this. We found companies that are really knowledgeable, but you think, I'm not going to enjoy working with them. You know? So mm-hmm. podcasting has that ability to add, uh, to communicate your expertise with personality, I guess is the way to say it. And in B2B, that personality is so important because you know what? If you look at our website or look at our clients' websites and look at their competitors, they all read the same you know, two, yeah. two information technology companies, two, look at laptops. You go look at, they just, they're, they're identical in functionality, they're identical in features, and they're off by $10 in price, right? They're very difficult to differentiate. It's the human person, the, the personas that are involved in marketing, I think are valuable. And, and to communicate that, things like podcasts and the conversational approach, I think are very valuable, very valuable. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. I like that way of putting it, conversational marketing. Greg, what are your thoughts here? have the ability to see not only what the organization is like, but get answers to your questions to, you know, learn more about products, get more in depth about it. And it really takes over the sales pitch. And I think that's the big differentiator is the sales pitch that we knew 10, 15 years ago is starting to transition is becoming less and less because more buyers are becoming more savvy. They're doing more of their own online research. And therefore this is a way for, people to get their message out without directly picking up the phone and talking to mm-hmm. somebody. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I think as Rod just said, it's uh, sometimes I think it's, it's maybe even less about the specific message or, or talking about your specific services than it is just demonstrating who you are as a person, the kind of person you mm-hmm. are and your personality and that, Hey, I'm a, it would be, it would be fun to work with me. 
and the, and the other thing about yeah. podcasts is that they're very timely. You you can literally something can happen one week that you you know a day later you can do a podcast about it, for example. So you can mm -hmm. really be very timely, as opposed to creating an ad campaign or an email campaign takes takes weeks of planning, right? So with podcasts, you can plan pretty quickly, you know, and they're very cost effective marketing. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's largely because it's pretty easy to talk about a thing, much easier than it is to write about it or produce a video about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just have a discussion with people who at least know something and, you know, 15, 20 minutes, no problem. You can get a lot of good, good information, good content that way in a very quick, in a, in a very short amount of time, for sure. Exactly. Well, especially in the conversational, you can get different, differing yeah. opinions, which I think is very important. Yeah, for sure. All right, you guys. So just a few quick questions at the end here. What's been your main focus so far in Q1? Greg, why don't we start with you? So for us, it's awareness. As we mentioned earlier, we've got a lot of clients that we've uh, built longevity and trust with. And for us, it's trying to expand our off-base clientele and get our message out there and our story out there of how long we've been in the business and the type of organizations that we support and you know what our qualities are. I think that's been our focus for the last year. Something that starting in 2020-21 was new for us. We kind of have had the luxury of having our organizations come to us. And I think now it's really trying to get our message out there to organizations that we believe we can mm -hmm. support. Yeah, Rod, your I, thoughts there? I, I, we are, I guess you could say we're a victim of our own success, right? Which is that mm. uh, the, the our word of mouth business is so strong that we literally in 28 years now have never had a salesperson. We, mm. we don't make cold calls. We don't, you know, it, it, we're very fortunate, you know, and that's, a, and we're, 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 we recognize we're fortunate, but there's challenges with that, right? Because when you allow, when it's all word of mouth business, the, the, the clients can pull you in a direction you may not want to go strategically as a business. So it's really important that we get out there and, and sort of tell our story because we literally have thousands and thousands of successful projects under our belt. We, 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 you know, 28 years, you can imagine, we, you know, thousands. We've done so many things. It doesn't mean we've done everything right, but we, we, we learned a lot over the 27 years. And we certainly can help companies avoid serious mistakes you know i sometimes I, I listen to people present what they've done and i go boy if they had just come to me and give me five minutes of their time <laughs> i could have saved them thousands of dollars of wasted and weeks of wasted time and it's mm -hmm. not an arrogance it's simply just purely we've seen so much we've seen so much you know and that's what i think is a is to get out there and make make it known and that's what really greg's been focusing on which has been exciting for me to see because we've done so little of our own <laughs> outreach over the mic the 25 years that I was running things. So it's been interesting to see. It's okay. Yeah. So, okay. Next question. What are the top three KPIs that you guys focus on most? And uh, Rod, let's stick with you for now. Well, number one is, is client satisfaction. You know, the, when you're, when you're relying on word of mouth, you're, you're only as good as your last project, you know? So we have to make every project successful and, and we do. We're very good at that. You know, we, that's probably our number one satisfaction levels and making sure they really remain obviously you know opportunities you know and we look at things the size of opportunity things like that but more importantly is is you know are we get, getting new clients we, the number of new clients that we're getting again because our goal this year is really is to do more outreach we want to diversify 
a customer base. As I said, when you're, when you're focusing on word of mouth, you can get pulled into an awful lot of similar directions. So we want to really, you know, we have such a broad set of services. We want to make sure that we exercise all of our muscles in terms of our capabilities, you know, so we look at what we're doing. We say, okay, you know, we, we haven't done as many of this type of project over the past six months. Let's see what we can try to find some more clients to do this, you know, that type of service so that we make sure we, we keep our, our creative muscles, you know, current and, and strong. If that makes any sense. I think Greg Absolutely. Would makes a lot of sense. Greg. Yeah. I think uh, in addition to those, the other one that we take a look at is our employee retention. I think, you know, in this industry in particular, it's fairly mm -hmm. high. And I think, you know, we've been fortunate over the last several years and since I've joined where ours is not, I mean, we're looking at somewhere in the ballpark of an average of five to six years. You know, we get people in that are fairly on early on in their career. So I think that just speaks to the type of organization that we built and we continue to build. Okay. Very good. And I think yeah, so that when people... When people move on, oftentimes it's, it's 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 you can almost sense it's time for them. You know, when you take a young bring a young person on board, after six seven years, you realize they probably deserve to try a different industry or try a different focus, or or maybe they've after seven years of working on all the varieties of projects, they've decided they want to focus solely on one type of service, for example. So they go to a company that specializes because we're very broad in our services, and they might choose to say, well, I'm going to go focus on just video marketing or just web, mm -hmm. for example. So, you know, we, but as Greg said, you know, our turnover is very low compared to the industry. We're very fortunate that way. We work hard at that. And Greg, I'll give Greg kudos. He's done a lot of work with our benefits programs and things like that to help too. You really have to watch those things these days, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any company is only as good as its people. Yes. Right. Especially uh, I mean, that's all we are. It's our product. That's people. it. Yeah. That's it. And and these days, especially, I mean, with the, the so-called great resignation, right? Yes. People moving around like never before. So absolutely makes sense to, to keep a close eye on that. So finally, uh, question for both of you. What are you guys hoping to accomplish throughout the remainder of 2022? Greg, let's start with you. Uh, again, it's continuing to work mm -hmm. on awareness. That's our big push for this year. We've updated our Martech stack in a number of areas. And I think over the last couple of years, we've actually started working on leveraging that to its full capacity. And I think that's helping us not only with our outreach, but just our general messaging, customer engagement, those types of things. And I think for us this year is just going to continue to build and enhance that as we move into 2020. Okay. And Rod. Yeah. Similar. I mean, in my case, it's, it's, it's part, it's part of, I'm part of that art outreach effort and it's, it's really thought leadership. We're getting out there. We're talking to a lot of companies, we're doing a lot of presentations. We, we chair an organization called the product um, leadership council, which brings together product marketing executives from all over the world, actually on a monthly basis, for example. So we're really getting out there to kind of showcase, what we learned in 28 years, we want to make sure people recognize that we have that expertise because oftentimes we walk into a room and people haven't heard of us. And that's frustrating because they should have by now. In 28 years and the thousands of successful projects for hundreds of companies, they should, we should be known better. And I'll be the first to say that's my fault. And and and, uh, and, uh, and um, I'm helping to change that. So. Well, I think that's a good bookend. You know, it goes right back to what we were talking about before. I think things don't sell themselves, right? It, you actually have to put in, in the time and the effort to get your name out there. You know, you don't just go viral 
by accident. Like I said, go, going viral is not a plan. You can wish for it, but it's not a plan. <laughs> yeah, right. You have to make it happen. Well, well, you guys, thank you both uh, for your time, for a really great discussion. Learned a lot. Just love, you know, talking shop with you guys, talking about marketing. So thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Engage Your Tribe. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. You know you want to. If you're a marketer or an internal communicator and you're interested in podcasting, we've got tons of free resources on the website at tribknowledge.com. That's T-R-I-B knowledge.com. Thanks for listening and staying engaged.